And now for something completely different. A radio show about books. Didn't think it through at all. Inconceivable! Is it a kingdom? Is it a pen? Is it a radio? I don't know. Can I just make more funny noises? Thank you. Tarzan of the Apes. Brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' immortal book. Oh, wow. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. And now for your host, Daniel Thompson, a completely underqualified buffoon who has no idea why he's here in the first place. And all were amazed and said, this guy is really good. Do you do children's parties? Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. I am your host, Daniel Thompson, and do I have news for you? I have been fired. <laughs> yep, it took them long enough, right? I mean, oh my gosh, this should have been a thing like five episodes ago. Oh well, just now getting around to it. But yes, the podcast, I mean, fired is a harsh word. Splitting ways is the word I'm going to use. Kingdom Pen and Kingdom Pen Radio are no longer affiliated with one another. No, that's terrible. That sounds businesslike. I'll have more details on this at the end of the episode. But all you should know is we are changing our name from Kingdom Radio to a new name. We will be calling ourselves Not Kingdom Pen Radio. Mm Mm-hmm. It's got a great ring, don't you think? I like it. I dig it. Not really. We're going to have a new title. I'll let you know about that. Once again, all this information will be at the end, because right now, we don't have time for none of that, because we got Jake Buller in studio with us. Jake Buller. You may know him for his love of all things Pixar, and that is exactly what we are going to be talking about today. We are talking Pixar Studios. So sit back, enjoy the sudsy beverage of your choosing, because this is not Kingdom Pen Radio. You're here because we want the best, and you're it. Nope, couldn't keep a straight face. Hey everybody, Daniel here with you in the studio, and I have a special guest today. He has published, self-published, two novels, well, one novel and an anthology. He is my special Ebola friend, Jake Buller. (laughs) Hi. Had to get one Ebola joke in, man. Had to, just one. I won't do any more, I promise. I'll try not to judge you too much. <laughs> I, prom- I promise that that will be the last one. <laughs> Thank you. So, but hey, today we are going to talk about Pixar. Because as if, if any of you have seen Jake on Facebook before now, you know that he is a huge Pixar fan. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're a fanboy. I'm, I'm going to tell you straight. Oh, I prefer the term fangirl because it kind of gives the... I mean, saying fanboy is... I don't know, I just never really clicked with that term. It seems like if you're going to be flailing around and shrieking, that's more of a characteristic that is best expressed by a girl. Uh, yeah, that that's that is that is true. So Jake is the biggest Pixar fangirl you'll ever see. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we'll go with. <laughs> that'll, well, go, that'll go in the title of the episode. That's perfect. <laughs> Excellent. So, so so Inside Out was the big one this year and good dinosaur coming right on up. And you, yeah, you loved, November. yeah, and you loved Inside Out. Yes, I did. I loved Inside Out. It was so it was, good. 
Yeah, it was probably their most complex film to date. It's gotta um, be, man. I'm not sure if it's their best yet. I'm still kind of processing that up as was the previous holder of that title for me. Which which was what, what was your favorite before Inside Out? Um, Up, which is another Pete Doctor film. Oh, it's so Up is good too. Yes. My yes. favorite my favorite was Toy Story three because I mean I just grew up with it and then mm-hmm. Toy Story three happened and all the teenagers cried. <laughs> all of them cried. There's the truth of it. Yeah, but in in terms of story complexity, Inside Out has got to be. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's so it's it's so deep. How? Now you read you and I we both read the uh, the book which I've plugged on the show before, uh, Creativity Incorporated, which is mm-hmm. the the Pixar backstory, yeah. involving the, their brain trust and everything. Why do you, why do you think Pixar, you know, knocks it out of the park every time? Um, I think it's because they are um, constantly giving each other feedback. There's there's not just like one person writing a story. It's one person and a whole group of other people that are after the essence of the story that this person is trying to tell. It's where everybody is collaborating together, um, kind of just um, shaving off the parts of the story that don't belong, adding in the sections that they feel they need to be there. It's a collaborative effort, and I think that helps keep a lot of the, I mean, sometimes there are flaws in the story that you Mm -hmm. yourself can't see. Definitely. that's, That's definitely where the Pixar Brain Trust comes in. No, it's weird though. Every time you hear uh, something referring to a story that was written by a committee, it's always in a negative sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I very rarely see authors of like novels that do it that way. Mm-hmm. Did you think this is kind of the the area that people need to move into? Do you? Th- um, I think it would depend. It's I think it's really hard to create a brain trust dynamic. Yeah, you have, have to, to have you have to have a real a really really similar approach to story. And you have to mm. all have the same essential idea that you're going after in order to create a brain trust, like collaboratively. Yeah. I mean, Pixar Brain Trust is um, somewhat collaborative, but I mean, it's still one person telling their story. It's it's like a cross between a collaboration and a critique group in a sense. Yeah, and I was, I was going to say, think, yeah. I do think storytelling in all mediums could use a lot more collaboration, brain trust type, uh, type help, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's, it seemed, it reminded me of the OEN, you know, the summer workshop mm-hmm. critique groups in a way. I mean, everyone's, yeah. everyone's got their story. They're the ones writing it. Everyone else is giving feedback on, on it. And that's, that's mm-hmm. really interesting to me. It's how yeah, that could work. I think the, the really cool thing about the brain trust is it's not just like a bunch of amateurs coming together no, um, to <laughs> give feedback. Sometimes the feedback is way off base. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cool thing about the Pixar Brain Trust is it's a network of, like, the, they are the pinnacle of storytelling in some ways. They are the very best storytellers in the animation genre, arguably arguably of any storytelling genre. And they are all coming together to kind of refine this story, which I think is what makes Pixar films so powerful. Now, in Pete Doctor's case, was he when did he jump on the team? I'm trying to remember... Um, I believe he was one of the original co-writers of Toy Story. Okay. When they got into storytelling originally, none of them were geniuses. I mean, they may have, they obviously had some genius in them, and their stories were really good, but, I mean, they didn't have the experience or anything. Yeah. That I blows think, my mind. I think I think the uh, the experience was really practical. It was, I think, the way they created Toy Story, the collaborative way they created Toy Story, was a big influence 
on how they made stories after that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it really set the tone, I think, the way they... I mean, in the original draft Toy Story, you know, Woody was a lot darker and grittier and, a, a, and pretty yeah. yeah, manipulative. He was a jerk. Um, and the process of refining him back into what the original vision was and getting feedback but not always using feedback, I think the way they refined Toy Story provided like a template for how they created stories in the future. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a statement that Pixar, I'm not sure if it was uh, Ed, the, the head of the Pixar place, or if it was Pete Docter recently, but they, uh, they said, if it works, we're never going to use it again. If it, if it works, we're not going to use that method of storytelling again. We're not going to repeat our same, our same successes. Not only are we not going to repeat our failures, we're not going to repeat our same successes. And I thought that was really interesting, kind of the explorer yeah, nature. Yeah, that sounds like something he would say. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, it was kind of inspiring to me because I, I like doing different things with story. I don't like doing the same thing yeah, over definitely. and over. Yeah, and I think it's easy to tell in a story when you're going off of a formula rather than a, uh, a, an original um, creative, um, how do you call it, like just going off of creativity rather than yeah. um, formula. It's easy to fall back on those cliches. I mean, it's just stupid mm -hmm. easy to do that. Yeah, and I, I think that's the danger that Cars 2 fell into is that yes. the fundamental basis of Cars 2, which I view as Pixar's only real flop, the fundamental basis of Cars 2 was based off of a formula like that can be the... There are several other stories that had the... Um, funny side character becomes the main character those mm -hmm. didn't work out very well they and generally don't of course there's like the idiot who's a detective yeah um, trope that was i think that originated maybe with the man with one red shoe um mm. i forget who's who's the guy that plays that was, him that was tom hanks tom hanks yeah that's right it was tom hanks um so i think it was based off of a lot of cliches and a lot of tropes and so even when john lasseter took over to direct the film the basis of the movie wasn't solid, and it ended up. Um, I mean, from a creative perspective, it was—it just wasn't good at all. Yeah, Cars Two was pretty terrible, and I wanted it to be good, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, it's Larry the Cable Guy. He's—he's he's coming in. He's going to be the comedic side character, but as the main character, and surely there's a way to make that work mm -hmm. in in a pre-existing universe. Surely it can work, but I've just never seen it done, except in the case of maybe the TV show Frasier. I've never seen it done right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so how much, how much do you in your writing do you implement any of the Pixar ideas when you're going into story? I know you were telling me about uh, your your Chrome heads. I'm not sure if that's mm -hmm. the was that the title. That yeah, that's the title. You, it's a complicated mystery story for those mm -hmm. of you who haven't heard of Chrome heads yet. And do you use any of the Pixar ideas when going into this story? Um. I don't use like a Pixar idea, so to speak. I mean, there are some of my stories that I'm working on developing that I'm using a more um, Pixarian method. Um, mm -hmm. But but I do consciously try to simplify my stories as much as possible. Even though Chrome Heads is like a time travel murder mystery science fantasy, it's really it is, complicated. It is, but I work my hardest. It, I work my hardest to find the essence of the story, the simple core of the story that I built everything off of and I think that that's a really important story te storytelling technique that Pixar utilizes I mean even in mm -hmm. 
in all of their stories, you can distill everything down into one sentence. Like Toy Story, all three of the movies are a toy wants to be loved. Yeah. And that, so I think the art of distilling your story down into one essential idea is something that's really valuable for storytellers. Absolutely. Now, when last time I talked to you about Chrome Heads, you didn't quite have that yet. Do you have that now? Um, yeah, I've, I've worked out um, what I want that to be. It's heavily tied to the character development and the theme, mm-hmm. which I also really like. Um, but I'm still ironing out the kinks, so don't ask me. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I might just spew ten minutes of, um, I think this happens. And, yeah. <laughs> I was going to let you give your log line, but if you don't want to do that, that's <laughs> no, no, chill. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> being in the middle of story development can be a little bit messy. <laughs> it is messy. It's a messy process, and Pixar, yeah. Pixar admits that, too. They're just like, every story, when we first have it, is terrible. Yeah. And that that's a really honest way to look at things. Yes. Yep. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to have a little midsection here that takes place. Y'all that have been listening, you know about this. We will be right back in just a moment. Warning. Listening to this podcast may result in the contraction of Ebola. Blood, Jake, is a known possible carrier of this deadly virus. We have unconfirmed reports that this illness can be spread through sound waves, and having listened this far, you have already contracted Ebola through your ears. For your own safety, please quarantine your ears immediately. We recommend that you remove your ears with a sharp instrument, and then place both them and the aforementioned instrument in a contamination holding. Do not at any point say the word Ebola out loud, as this is a leading cause of contraction. When your loved ones ask you why you are carrying around your ears and a kitchen knife in a specialized contamination container, do not respond. Do not even grunt the mnemonic syllables. Furthermore, do not allow them to see the container, as visual contact with items infected with Ebola can result in contamination. Do not at any point think about the Ebola virus, as this action has been known to lead to infection. It is possible that using words that contain letters also found in the word Ebola could also result on the spontaneous generation of the virus. Avoid them at all cost. If you have an underground bunker, for example people living in Oklahoma, retreat there immediately to wait out the coming Ebola apocalypse, and consume gluten and young living essential oils. The Department of Medical Overreactions has deemed this podcast infected and quarantined until further notice. Thank you, and as always, wash your hands. And we are back! I hope you enjoyed that midsection, whatever it is, because I haven't figured out what it's going to be yet. It'll be entertaining, whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not good at (laughs) re-entry. Into interviews. Some people say the beginning is the hardest part. No, it's re-entry, man. It's re-entry. Beginnings are fine. It's beginning again. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going. We're going to keep into the Pixar theme, and we're going. We're going to talk about brain trusts because the brain trust is the coolest part of anything that I've read in that uh, the mm-hmm. Creative Incorporated, uh, Creative Creative Inc. Sorry, I just butchered the title. How did I do that? I don't even know. Anyway, okay. so they talked about how they're they're just accountable to everyone. And they, they get in a system where they're completely honest. It's completely... The candor is ridiculous in there. I wish I could achieve that. Now, how would you go about setting up a long-distance one of those? Because I have no writers in my area. Mm-hmm. 
like literally there's there's <laughs> no one i couldn't yeah. hang out with people and do it like they do and canner's gotta be easier in person so how, yeah. how would you go about setting up like an online mm -hmm. brain trust well i i understand where you're coming from because i was uh in africa for four years so yeah. i was kind of a long ways away um <laughs> from any writers of a like mind um but from long distance, I mean, like the medium of the thing would be, I mean, I, I should think that like um, group chats and like Google Hangouts or Skype um, work really well. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, for some writers, they communicate best over text anyway. Yeah. Um, I, and it seems easier to kind of hide behind a profile picture mm -hmm. and give your honest opinion sometimes than it does to do that in real life. So. Really? Yeah, at least for me, I found that I am able to give my opinion. I'm, I, I don't like um, contradicting people. I'm not a huge fan of conflict, although, and when I do run into it, I end up being rude. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so having being able to communicate online is actually freeing for me. It and brings think, more candor. Yeah. Yes. Huh. I hadn't thought about that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for the medium chat-based interaction and Google Hangouts or Skype um, work really well. As for the actual creating of a brain trust, it's a little trickier because, I mean, the best brain trusts happen organically. You're not looking yeah. for them. I mean, I've been looking for a brain trust for two years and you don't just like say, hey, you want to be in a brain trust with me? Sure, let's go. It's it's not quite that easy, I don't think. What I mean, so? The Pixar brain trust was forged out of a necessity. Everybody had their job, mm -hmm. and they were trying to create the first computer animated um, motion picture, right? So, okay. as a result of that collaborative effort, they found a method that really worked for them. Yeah, and I'm, to to create a brain trust like that, I think it'll it to be organic. It would need or come out of a need. Hmm. Um, like, I read one time about the uh, friendship of Christopher Hopper and Wayne Thomas Batson. Yeah. They both had a need for a collaborator. They really wanted somebody they could bounce their ideas off of. And so when they met, it clicked, and they were able to collaborate on the um, Christian speculative fiction series, The Baronful Prophecies. Yeah. Um, Which I read. It was pretty good. So I think a brain trust would arise out of a common need, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not something you can really force, but once, yeah. Does that make sense? That does make a lot of sense. So it, need, it needs to be forged out of necessity. It can work on an online base. Yeah. It can mm -hmm. be it can be worked long distance. I hadn't, I, it totally slipped my mind that maybe a text base would be more more candid. Mm -hmm. But it makes a lot of sense. People don't like confronting. I mean, it also, it depends on the personality of the people. I mm -hmm. think there can be personality variation in a brain trust. Yeah. Um, but I, th there, Besides necessity, a really essential part of a brain trust is creating a, is a lot of people of a very similar mind towards a similar goal. I, the Pixar Brain Trust wants to create meaningful, beautiful, well-structured stories in an animation genre, mm -hmm. and that's a very specific, um, a very specific goal they share and and something a desire that they all have in common. Absolutely. I think that's one reason why it works so well is because. Their greatest passion is what they pour into this brain trust. Mm -hmm. So the collaborative writing effort, their their whole thing is you have a director or the, a writer, and they're mm -hmm. going to be the ones that actually put the draft on paper, but everyone's opinion on this 
matters. They they and they have they bring up problems, but they don't tell you how to fix the problem. They leave that yes. to the rider. Which yeah, I think that's huge. They can give like uh, they can give suggestions, but the I, for it, for it to be really um, I don't know to, for it to be an organic solution, it needs to come from the rider himself or herself. I agree. I guess that's what makes the difference between a brain trust and a studio telling a, a director what mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, and I think that's why we see a lot of really junky animated films that come out. Yes. It's because um, somebody told them, hey, these minions are funny. Let's make a movie. It could have been good. It wasn't a bad idea, per se. <laughs> I had a buddy I mean, who went and watched it and he told the, me it was awful. So. <laughs> I think if the motivation behind creating a sequel like that is um, from the studio or for money or for mm-hmm. whatever reason like that, I think it's probably going to flop. It could turn out okay, but the very best stories are the ones that organically come out of like, hey, I see another direction the story could go, let's run with it. That's how Toy Story 1, 2, and 3 were mm-hmm. created. Yeah. And the sequels are just fantastic. They are. I mean, there's not a bad one among them. Mm-hmm. It's a really good series. And, and Pixar is notorious for finding things that really get you, mm-hmm. and they they find <laughs> they yeah. find they find those human elements there, mm-hmm. and the emotional connection. It's really it's really amazing how they do that. Mm-hmm. Do you, and I think it's because each each person who's trying to tell the story is doing it out of a passion for that story. It's not mm-hmm. just okay. Let's uh, tell a story about a bunch of funny penguins. Yeah. Um, I, it's it's something they have like, I mean the concept of Ratatouille, for instance, is a rat yeah. wants to cook. That's a really cool concept, and what Brad Bird does to create such an emotionally moving movie is that he digs into the very concept of cooking and how it affects us and how it affects our emotions, and that makes it really effective. Yeah, and Brad Bird, I mean, you see, I felt a lot of the same connections in Ratatouille that I did in Tomorrowland, his later mm-hmm. film. I, I think Ratatouille is the better film. Yeah. But um, you could tell that the joy of creating is the same joy that he finds in telling these stories. That's his theme, mm-hmm. is, is the joy of creativity. And it's just it's just powerful stuff. It is, yeah. really, it is really powerful stuff. Yep. Now, I hope, I hope against hope. I really don't want there to be an Inside Out sequel. I feel huh. like they've taken it where they need it to be. I'm afraid that there's going to be one. But I hope against hope that it'd be fantastic if there were one. Well, I think if if Pete Doctor has a direction where he wants to take a sequel, I think mm-hmm. it'll turn out pretty well. I have a lot of faith in this individual storytellers. Yeah. So I, I I should tend to think a sequel would turn out pretty well. And I mean, there are, there are directions where Doctor can take Inside Out. There are other concepts to explore. I feel like we just scratched the surface of what goes on in our brains, you know? Probably so. But I mean, I gotta wonder. I gotta wonder. Did Pete Doctor walk into the room and say, "Okay, everyone"? We're going to... Be, a spoiler here. Hey, everyone. We're going to make the audience cry because we kill off a character named Bing Bong. <laughs> Let's make this a thing. I mean, I gotta wonder if that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll just sitting there like, know. darn you. <laughs> <laughs> Bing Bong. Yeah, I know. That was probably... I, I, I hate making generalizations, but that was probably the darkest moment I have seen in a Pixar movie. It was harsh. It was, it was. It was really harsh. Really yeah, I mean, there, there are some. There are some harder. There are some hard scenes in 
in Pixar movies. I, I like to think that every Pixar movie has one. Mm-hmm. Like when in Finding Nemo, when when Dory's just talking about how she doesn't want to be alone. That mm-hmm. that's that's a hard scene to watch. And the, all the stories, no matter how ridiculous the concept, they come back to the core of something of. Uh, <laughs> Of the problems of growing up, of yeah. a father trying to find his son, of a toy who wants to be loved. I mean, it's really interesting, but it's general but specific. Uh huh. That's another thing that Creativity Incorporated talked about. Can't plug that book enough. I'm not getting paid to plug this book. It is just too good. Mm-hmm. Every, I agree. Every writer should go get this, like right yes. now, and read it. All right, so we are about out of time. I want to plug you, bro, because you've got you've got a blog and you've got books. <laughs> Tell me about your two books, real quick. Um, my first book is a hisfic that I wrote. Um, I th- I think I finished the first draft in 2011. I'm not super proud of it, but I got it because of the concept. I got it to as good as it was going to get, and I decided to just let it go into the world. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not a fantastic story, but it's it's a very honest portrait of who I was like four years ago and how I wrote. So. Well, with a log line like yeah. that, no one's going to buy your book, man. That's a terrible <laughs> pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, act, I try not to like actively um, market. Um, the, it, the book is called The Warhorn. Okay. And I write under the pseudonym J. Tobias Fuller. Yeah. Um, but I try not to actively market it at once because it's just mostly, it's more history than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's a way of sharing um, my story with other people without saying, hey, the this is my best work. Yeah, what's the what's the time period of the story? Um, the time period is about the 1100s in Great Britain. Nice. Okay, and now and then your uh, your anthology. And my anthology, which I will give a little bit more of a pitch about, is a uh, is a series of short stories focusing on one main character who is a super a, a secret agent for the future. Um, he works with the African secret police and uh, goes around the world um, doing secret agent-y type things. Yeah. Um, so in one story, he has to um, go to the ruins of what was once North America and uh, find out where the signal is coming from that the uh, government picked up. Um, some Because the place has been a wasteland for, I, I think it was like 50 years. So so that's how the series kicks kicks in. And, uh, and then he goes from there. He's got... Um, several more adventures. I think there's five stories in all. Um, Okay. And it's something I want to continue in the future because I'm really, I really love the idea. It's like a, in a way, it's like a, um, it's, it's a series of short stories that is similar to the approach of a TV show in a sense. It's kind of episodic. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's cool. Yeah, like a Sherlock Holmes said in the future, I think. So, so... You know, two more, two years down the road, you'll give us some more. <laughs> that was hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> well, that, that's really fun, man. That is really cool. Now, where can people follow you? Um, I have two blogs. Um, I'm going to be transferring my my original blog um, sometime this year, hopefully. And that is the, I, the URL I made up like four years ago. It's teenagewritingrocks.blogspot.com. Classy. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And the, my newer blog, which I use for a lot of my nonfiction stuff, is reflectingthemirror.blogspot.com. That and I cool. do a lot of like nonfiction creative essays and stuff. Um, I write a lot about Kansas because I love Kansas. You have a, you have a relationship with Kansas. I do. It is one of the deepest, most personal and passionate relationships I have. 
<laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. I yeah, just drove. I I drove through Kansas. I was like, this just feels like more of Oklahoma, <laughs> except oh, more man, human. Didn't drive through the right parts. Obviously not. Coming up from Oklahoma, I guess that's not the place to be. Okay, so people can follow you on your blogs. You're on mm-hmm. Facebook. Yeah, I have a personal Facebook account that I use for a lot of that stuff. Um, eventually, I'm going to be creating a um, like author page. Okay, cool. That I have that that's going to be kind of integrated to um, my new website that I'm hopefully going to get to work on soon. But if people want to friend you now, you can you can <clears throat> you can give them all sorts of box office geekery. <laughs> Yes, I can. Which is, it frankly, is pretty awesome. I've stopped Googling things and started reading them, which I feel terrible about doing that because I feel the need to argue with you. <laughs> I feel <laughs> need to have something to discuss Bring here. Bring it on, buddy. <laughs> we'll, we'll make the thing. We'll make the thing. Okay, and you're going to give away. You're going you're to put up um, mm-hmm. Stasis, which is your anthology. That's going to go up for free for, yeah. for about a week, you thinking? Yep, for about a week. All right, so that's that's or up and actually, you know what? I think it'll be like three days. It'll be three sure. days. Okay, yeah. so as of as of the release of this podcast, it'll be up free for three days. Y'all can go and download that. You can follow Jake on his Facebook and at his blogs. Jake, thanks so much for being on the show. Absolutely, this was I a lot of fun. It. We'll have to, we'll have to do this again sometime. Sounds like a plan to me. In the meantime, good luck to you, and uh, don't catch Ebola. <laughs> I thought you said that would be the last one. I lied. <laughs> catch <laughs> you, you later, later. man. Kingdom Pen Radio. Atlas Shrugged, a classic cornerstone of dystopian literature, the magnum opus of Anne Rand, survivor of communist Russia and the philosopher behind ethical egotism. And it's 1,168 pages long. Ain't nobody got time for that. An audiobook, though, that could be done. One could do any number of things while listening to an audiobook, kind of like listening to... A podcast. But anyway, Audible.com. You can get Atlas Shrugged during your free trial and keep it after the trial's expired. Which is good because you'll need more than a month to get through that monster. Click the link on our page. Check it out. Audible.com. Expanding your fandom horizons for free. And that wraps it up for today. Hey, thanks to Jake Buller for being on the show. That guy is a buddy. He is a real pal. I like Jake. We're definitely going to have him on later. Right now, I'm just sitting, looking out my window of my dorm, watching the eclipse. Y'all see? Y'all see the eclipse last night? Oh my gosh. Ah, it's just cool. It's just way cool. Well, hey, I told you I'd explain the whole Kingdom Pen thing, so here I am doing that. So Reagan was all like, hey, I want to control all the people you have on your show and what you talk about. And I was just like, no can do, Cracker Jack. Because, like, if I want to bring on Howard, the happy homeless man, I want to be able to do that. That should be my thing. But maybe we can compromise and find some happy middle ground. And Reagan was all like, no, that's not going to be a thing. I want full say. So sadly, we are splitting ways, but we're still on good terms. You got to understand, you will still see episodes of this podcast posted to the Kingdom Pen website. We will still be there in a big way. Now, additionally, there will also be a new website. I am developing a website for myself, which will mostly just be podcast stuff, so technically watching it on Kingdom Pen would, or listening rather, listening on Kingdom Pen will probably still be the better option. But, you know, 
all the episodes will be available on my website. Only some of them will be available on Kingdom Pen. So next week, I will have the new branding, the new name, the new logo, all the newness. But the show itself is staying the same. It is very much so the same show. We will still have a great guest lineup coming to you. The show itself is not changing any more than it would be if we were under the Kingdom Pen logo. Incidentally, next week's guest, his name is Howard. (laughs) Not really. Not really. Next week, we got Steve Raza in the studio. And I tell you his name now because I'm not sure if all of you know about him. You all should go look him up because he's got a free ebook online right now. You should check out Steve Raza. That's R-Z-A-S-A. He's going to be in studio, and he was a cool guy. One of those Enclave guys. You all are really going to enjoy him. But the gist of everything is, we are still here. You are still going to be receiving all this podcast goodness every Monday, without fail. So I will catch you all next week. You all enjoy your Monday, or whatever day you happen to be listening to this episode on. Remember, you can find us on SoundCloud, you can find us on iTunes, and once again, as always, on KingdomPen.org. You all have a good one. I'm going to catch you next time.